So if you have your Bible, please turn to the book of Revelation chapter 2. If you need a Bible, we have more Bibles that have come in and we have some on that back table back there. If you need a Bible, grab one on your way out, write your name in it, and it's yours to keep. Or, or it could be yours to give away to a pharmacist or somebody who needs it. So, <clears throat> The book of Revelation started saying, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This book is all about Jesus. And so we might be talking about angels, we might be talking about beasts, we might be talking about uh, tribulations, but all these things are to cause us to look at Jesus. And we've come into a section where Jesus says, hey, I've got these seven stars in my hand, which were angels. And he was sending them with these messages being written by John to seven lampstands, which he calls the churches. And we started last week as he wrote to the lampstand, the church at Ephesus. And this week we go to the lampstand, the church at Smyrna. These churches were seven churches that were around in what would be modern day Turkey. And so uh, that's kind of in our mind where we set these churches geographically. And so we find in verse 8 of chapter 2 what he says to Smyrna. He says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, The words of the first and the last who died and came to life. If you remember, each of these letters to these seven churches are beginning with a statement. Here's a letter coming to you, and it's not from John. It's not from an angel. It's not from any other bystander or anybody else who would look at your church and judge your church. This is coming from me, Jesus. I'm the one who's doing an examination of your church, of your heart, of what's going on in you, and I'll tell you how it looks. We've recognized that in us, that we can have somebody else come to us and say something. We can have a spouse. We can have a boss. We can have a pastor. We can have somebody come and speak to us. But the one who knows us best is Jesus. And when he speaks, you better listen. And so he says to these churches, he identifies himself. And here to the church at Smyrna, he says that he was the one who's the first and the last. He was the very beginning, he's the very end. He's the Alpha and the Omega in the Scriptures. Whenever he gives that description, what he is saying is, I am the one and only God. I was the first, I'm the last. There was no God before me, there's no God after me. I'm the only one and I'm the God who's looking at you. Amen. So pay attention. And then he goes on here and says, not only am I the only God, but I'm a, I died and now I'm alive. I defeated death. Nobody else can make that claim. There's no God who can claim that. There's no human who can claim that. Satan can't claim that. No other spiritual power. Nothing else can claim that they died and by their own power resurrected. I'm the only one. Amen. And so if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm the only God and I defeated death, there's somebody to be listened to, right? I would think so. So Jesus comes with this word to Smyrna and says, I am the one and only God. I defeated death. And then he goes on in verse 9 and he begins his words to them. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. And I'm just going to stop right there for a moment to describe Smyrna. Smyrna was the city. It was a, a very prosperous city. It wasn't quite as prosperous as Ephesus. Ephesus was kind of a, a really rich uh, harbor town. And Smyrna was always kind of like the little brother who was jealous. Uh, kind of like a Portland to Seattle. You know, they were always jealous of us. Or a Boston to New York or something like that. But Smyrna was a very rich city. And the Christians who lived there, because they believed in Jesus, they were not only undergoing persecution and tribulation because they believed in Jesus. In fact, there was a lot of uh, uh, things that were going out, news going out about the church at that time that made people not like the church. For instance, because they took communion, they ate Jesus' blood and they uh, drank his blood and ate his body. They said that they were eating babies because Jesus came as a baby. And so 
they were talking about them uh, being cannibals. And so you can understand that giving the church a bad rap. People are like, they're terrorists. They want to eat us. Let's kill them. There's a lot of tribulation going on in Smyrna against the church that was there. As well, in Smyrna, it was one of the leading cities in the imperial cult. And so if you were in the imperial cult, you had Caesar, the emperor, and you worshipped him. You would go to a place of worship and you would have a statue or a figure of him and you would worship the emperor. Now, if you were not a part of the imperial cult, if you believed in something else, for instance, Jesus, they made it not only difficult for you in your everyday life, but they made it hard for you not to earn any money at all. And so here you have a rich and prosperous city where people are saying mean things about you and persecuting you, but they're not even letting you make good money and get anywhere at all because you don't worship the emperor. And so Jesus looks at them and says, hey, you know what? I know where you're at. I know you're undergoing tribulation, and I know you have poverty. And he says, but I know you're rich. And what he means by that is in me, you've got everything you need. Physically, you might be poor in the midst of a rich city. But spiritually, in the midst of a very poor people, you are very rich. You have everything that you need. And so I don't know where that hits you circumstantially. You might say, I need to make more money. Or I'm in a place where people don't like the fact that I'm a Christian. Hey, take heart. Jesus likes you. That's a good place to be. He sees where you're at, and he knows that you're rich in him. And then he goes on and says this about their situation. He says, and the slander of those who say that they're Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. In many of the cities back then, whether they were Jewish or Greek cities, there was a cluster of Jews who lived there, and they had a synagogue where they had set up. So even though they might be foreigners, Jews living there, they were in that place, and they suppose that they worship the God of the Old Testament. And so they set up these synagogues. Well, there was Jews in Smyrna who were coming against the Christians, saying, you're false. Those scriptures that you keep saying are talking about Jesus. They're not talking about Jesus. And Jesus says about the Jews there, they're just, they're not really Jews. Because we find in the scripture that Jesus says, those who are true sons of Abraham, those who would say, we come from his lineage, aren't those who are Jews by blood and by ethnicity. You are a part of God's people. You are part of Israel. You are part of the Jews. You are real Jews if you believe in Jesus. Because Abraham did. And so these Jews, I recognize that they're slandering against you. But let me tell you something about them. When they go to worship in their synagogue, their synagogue is run by Satan. It's run by Satan. This is the same thing that Jesus had said to the Jews when he was alive. He said to them, you know what? You don't follow the, fa follow the father because the father sent me. And if you don't listen to me, you don't have anything to do with that father. He turned to them and in John chapter 8 says, because you do what you do, you don't believe in the father. What he says about me, Satan is actually your father. The devil is your father. And so here Jesus says that about the Jews in Smyrna. I realize that they're slandering you. They're not really my people. And actually that place where they worship, they're not worshiping God. They're not worshiping me. They're worshiping Satan. They're following him. That's demonic. So I see your situation. Don't worry about it. I defeated Satan. That's where he's going. I defeated Satan. He goes on here and says this. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested. And for 10 days, you will have tribulation. 
So you're going to prison. Wait, wait, I, I thought you were going to give us a good word. We've been under tribulation. We were in poverty. We were dealing with this synagogue of Satan. And now you're going to, you should be telling us that we're going to have an, an amazing fundraiser and more people are going to come to our church. And, you know, isn't that what comes next? No, let me tell you a good word. You're about to get thrown in prison. The devil's going to round some of you up. He's going to be on your tail. And then you're going to be thrown in prison. You're going to go undergo testing. Whew. And things just aren't getting easier for the church at Smyrna. Things are just getting harder and harder and harder. And some have looked at that and said, 10 days, you know, what does that 10 days mean? And, and I tell you, when I come to the book of Revelation, there's a lot of things I've told you this before. I don't know. I don't know if those were a literal 10 days. I don't know if they were at 10 periods of time. Some people have thought that they relate to the 10 uh, emperors of Rome. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't necessarily go that place. I just say, the Lord is telling them for a period of time, you're going to be undergoing distress here. It's going to be hard. You think it was bad. It's going to get worse. You're thinking, is that a good word from the Lord? Now, at this point, if you recognize, hey, we're going to undergo pressure and we're going to get thrown in prison, let's start praying that we get out of prison, right? You want Jesus to say, you pray hard, you do what you need to, I'll spring you out of prison and this is going to be a big revival. But his next word says this, be faithful unto death. Jesus doesn't even promise them that they're going to live. That in the midst of them being Christians, that most of them might possibly die. In fact, prison in that day was mainly a waiting place until you would come to your trial, until you would come to your death. It was just kind of a simply a conveyor belt until you would go there. So Jesus says, things are bad. I see that. And things are about to get worse. In that you, in the midst of being faithful, in the midst of loving me, in the midst of all, you've ho- all the hope you've had in me, and because of the things you proclaim about me, and the hymns that you sing about me, and the, 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 the people that you're a member of, because of all that, you're quite possibly going to die. And he tells them that's just how it is. But let me tell you this about Jesus. Jesus has a very, very, very tender, spark, uh, tender part of his heart for martyrs, martyrs, not people who are knuckleheads and just being jerks while they're being Christians, but people who faithfully love him and faithfully go and present Jesus, maybe in a repentant way to the pharmacist or to a neighbor who just moved in. You go take him some cookies and you share about the Lord with him and and you're just, you know, you're doing what Jesus tells you to do, but in the midst of that, get kicked to the curb and maybe possibly killed. Jesus has a special place in his heart for martyrs. And we'll see this in the book of Revelation. He loves people who are willing to die for him. And he sees that I see that some of you will be faithful unto death. And he says this, and I, this is the best part. And I will give you the crown of life. Because what we have here is Jesus understanding that, wait a second, what I came to you, the first words was, The one who's coming to you is the first and the last, the one who died and is now alive. And so this death that you're going to undergo, you may be a martyr, but let me tell you something. I defeated death. And in me, you did not lose. In me, you won. 
In me you have victory. In me you've overcome. In me you have conquered. And so even though you've been faithful unto death and people might look at that and say, well, now we've got to go to his grave. Let me tell you something. I, Jesus, have had victory over the grave. And so if you've been faithful unto death, I will come and I will give you the what? It says there, the crown of life. And that day, if you went off and you went and you went to track and field and you won, they wouldn't necessarily come and put a gold medal around you. They would come and they'd put a victor's crown on you. When you win, you get a crown. And so Jesus says, you know what? I won and I'm extending that victory to my people. If you are with me, you win. If you're over with that synagogue of Satan, let me tell you something. I already beat him. You're just going to lose. It may look like the world's having fun, that they got all the money, that they can say whatever they want and have a good time. The emperor likes them. Everything's good for them. But guess what? They lose. They don't get a crown of life. Let's see what that happens to them. In verse 11, it says, He who has an ear, everybody wiggle your ear. Right? That means you have an ear. It says this, if you have an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So we need to be paying attention to what he's saying to Smyrna because it applies to us. It says here, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The second death. See, that's the important one. Here's a crazy statistic. 100% of all people who are born die. Isn't that crazy? That's one of the most accurate and un, what do you call that? Just, just nobody can argue it, you know? 100% of people die the first death. And in scripture, it makes a distinction between the first death, which we go and we observe funerals and, and uh, visitations when somebody dies. We're, we're, we're recognizing that they died the first death. But the scripture says that after the first death, that all people, both the just and the unjust, will be resurrected and face judgment. And those who have all their sins standing against them, the Lord will take and he will cast them into the lake of fire. Along with Satan, the false prophet and the beast. And it says at the end of the book of Revelation that that lake of fire is the second death. So if you were judged and all your sin stands against you, which any human, that's the other one, 100% of humans who are born not only will die, they have sin that stands against them, their own sin. You are your worst enemy. Not only would you have the first death, but then after judgment, you would be cast under the second death. Except, except if you faithfully love Jesus, if he has forgiven you of that sin, that sin's been taken off you and it was put upon his cross and he died and spilt his blood in your place, then that was the great exchange. Amen. And at that moment, he said, here, here's my victor's crown. And if you wear that victor's crown, and if you, when you were resurrected out of the first death, are then standing before Christ at the judgment and all that sin is read. When it comes time for all to be cast into the lake, into the second death, the Lord will look at you and say, no, 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 you won. All that sin was put on me and I suffered the wrath for you. You don't have to go to the second death. And he says here, the one who conquers, that is the one who's victorious in Jesus, will not be hurt by the second death. 
I don't know what all of you are going through. I know some of it. But if it's for Jesus' name, it is worth it. It is worth it. Nowadays in America, we might not think that we have the same exact tribulations as Smyrna. You're going through some of them just because of life and sin and death. There's pain. There's crying. There's loneliness. It's part of life. Ever since Adam and Eve ate that fruit. There are many of our brothers and sisters around the world who are in Jesus who are undergoing extreme persecution for their faith in Jesus Christ this morning. This morning. And they are looking to him saying, what do you see in Jesus? And he says, I see your tribulation. I see people are against you. I see somebody wants to throw you in prison and wants to kill you. I see all that. Be faithful unto death. I'll give you that crown of life. And you will not be overcome by the second death because you've conquered in me. They love Jesus so much. And that day may come our way with all the craziness that was mentioned. It may come our way. Well, one day you will stand and say, I'm with Jesus or I'm not with Jesus. I am faithful to Jesus or I'm not faithful to Jesus. And that persecution may not come at the end of a gun barrel. It may come at somebody who's made us mad at the pharmacy counter. Right? Be faithful. Look to be faithful under whatever persecution that is. But know this. It keeps getting worse and worse for Christians. Last century, from 1900 to 1999, there was more people killed for the name of Jesus Christ than all the other centuries from the year 33 to the year 1899. And it just keeps exponentiating. Jesus said it's going to get worse. I was talking to a gal recently. And she said, you know, people keep talking about the Lord coming back. And for a long time, I said, I don't want the Lord to come back. I like what's going on. My life is good. I like my house. I want to see my kids grow up and graduate and maybe get married. Have kids so I can have grandkids. I'm not ready for the Lord to come back. And then this gal said, but you know what? Suddenly the Lord caused me to pause and see what's going on around the world. But I, I'm in a really cozy place. And she said, I recognized suddenly... How selfish that was. I'm not ready for the Lord to come back because I'm comfortable, but what about all the other brothers and sisters of the world who are desperate, who are longing for Jesus to come back because they might have a sword to their neck at this moment, who've had family members already killed and they're about to go into prison. That is going on for our brothers and sisters around the world. They're being faithful for the name of Jesus. Now, will I be faithful for the name of Jesus when I undergo the persecution of the shopping season? You know, you know what I'm saying? The persecution of advertisements and enticements to try to just get more comfortable where I'm at. It's hard, isn't it? Our prayer is that, Lord, help me to be faithful. Can you pray that? I was encouraged this morning when, before Sunday school, Parker Wood was asked to pray. And something kept repeating out of Parker's mouth. 
Almost before every sentence, he would say, Dear Lord. Dear Lord. Dear Lord. Let me ask you, is the Lord dear to you? Is he dear to you? Is he dear to you because you'll wake up at Christmas and have a bunch of presents? Or is he dear to you because he won life for you? Is he so dear to you that if all this comfort was taken away, and if everybody in this world abandoned you, you could still sit and say, the Lord is good. He is dear. Now think about all the other people that you call dear. At night, I cuddle up to Katie and I say, I love you, dear. You know, I would die for that woman. My kids, I'll kiss them at night. I say, I love you, dear. I'd die for those kids. You in this church, I love you. You're dear to me. I would die for you. And you can look at all the people in your life that you think are dear. You write that in the cards to them. You say it to them. You whisper it in there. And you, you know that you would die for them, right? Would you die for Jesus? In your heart right now, would you die for Jesus? And if you say, yeah, you know what? I think I would die for Jesus. Let me ask, would you live for him? Sometimes it's easy to say, I'll die for him. Would you live for him? Is he that dear to live for him every day? This is what's awesome about Jesus. When he looks back at his church, you know what he says? You call me dear Lord, but I call you dear church. Why? Because I died for you. You know what? We will fail him. I will utterly fail him. And I've done, I've done Dale Wood at the pharmacy counter times a thousand. Maybe not always expressed in action, but in my mind. You get cut off in traffic and that guy is the Lord take him out. You know, we've all done it. Lord thought you were dear enough. He loved you enough to die for you. Is he dear enough to die for him? Is he dear enough to live for him? Is he dear enough to love him and cherish him more than anything else that you might get for Christmas? More than any job you could hope for? More than any other relationship? Is he the best? One thing that's awesome about Smyrna, there's only two churches in this book of Revelation where the Lord comes to and he doesn't say anything bad about their church. Smyrna had it together, not because they had a lot. They had it together because they had their eyes on Jesus in the midst of the tribulation. Know this also about Smyrna. Of the seven churches, it was one of the longest lasting. Because they cared about Jesus. Is Jesus dear to you? Father, we're thankful there was no reason for anything that we had done that you would think were dear. Except that you just being so gracious and so good and so loving. You sent your son to die for us. You made him flesh and blood. And born of a virgin. In order they might grow up and die on that tree for all the wreckage of my life. All the sin. 
and the wickedness and the alliances with Satan and all the things that I have done. You put your Son on the cross for me because you love me. And so, Lord, help us to recognize that we weren't even worthy of your love, but that Jesus Christ has made us worthy to be in your presence. He has made us victorious in him, that he has given us the crown of life if we remain faithful in him. And so, Lord, I pray that we would recognize how much you've done. I don't know that we'll ever fully understand and comprehend it, but you've been so good to us. And I pray that whatever you put into our laps, be it tribulation or or be it worldly wealth, Lord, that we would use all these things for your kingdom. Whatever you say, we pray that you'd be so dear to us that we would die for you and that we'd also live for you. And Lord, this morning we want to take a moment to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who may be undergoing persecution, poverty, um, imprisonment, and even death today. There, There are going to be people just like us, who are dying for you today. We pray that you would encourage them and keep them faithful to that very last breath. We pray that you'd be with their families and their communities, that this would be an opportunity for them to grow in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that some might actually come to faith in the midst of your church being persecuted. Lord, we know that you came once and that you're coming back soon. And we pray that we would grow in you until that day. We're thankful that you've caused it for us to be able to escape the second death. Thank you for everything. We pray this in Christ's name.